Let's open the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I first heard the truth of God's sovereign grace and salvation in 1976 when I was 19 years old, which was 41 years ago. And I thank God for that time and, and what has followed after. And I tremble today with excitement and humility before God's Word as we consider some of those things again. And I hope that both old and new love to hear the old, old story. Because we've come to the midpoint of John 6, and the midpoint of John 6 is the old, old story of God's sovereign grace in Christ Jesus. All that the Father giveth me, all that the Father giveth me, Jesus our Savior went through life with a list engraved in the palms of his hands, written on his heart, in his mind. His purpose from everlasting was to save all that the Father giveth me. All that the Father giveth me, I shall lose none of them. What a wonderful doctrine. And we believe it. And I hope that old and new rejoice in it again with me. All that the Father giveth me. He had one purpose, to come into this world and fulfill the will of Him that sent Him. And that was to save every single one of us that are His elect with an everlasting salvation. And today we can make our calling and election sure by embracing Him who's conveyed to us through preaching. Because that will show the power of God. Because my delivery enhances God's power. If you know what I mean. And I I mean that with all sincerity. I want to read to you some verses that are powerful. They should be in every seminary. They should be over the door of every preacher's boy's class. But they're not. In fact, they teach things that are the opposite of what we're about to read. In 1 Corinthians... Paul takes in the first three chapters a great deal of time to cover the gospel and preaching of the gospel. Let me show you in chapter 1 a little context before I read some from chapter 2. Verse 21 of chapter 1. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's weakness, if it's ever exerted on our behalf, will save us, because His weakness is stronger than we are. Even in our depravity, His weakness is stronger than we are, and can regenerate us, and can convert us. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, Not many noble are called 
but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. How do we see those whom God has chosen? By their response to the gospel. That shows election or no election. There was a market survey done. If you read Psalm 14 last night, which which was suggested as possible meditation, Psalm 14 says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek after him. He found none. They are all gone out of the way. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none righteous. No, not one. So God has taken a market survey, both testaments. It's revealed to us, and here's one. And I've mentioned this very recently to you. The Jews wanted signs. Even after healing, feeding the 5,000, and walking across the Sea of Galilee, those Jews said, show us a sign that we might believe on thee. They wanted signs. The Greeks in Corinth, in Athens, in Philippi, wanted rhetoric, philosophy, wise speech, enticing words of man's wisdom. They wanted wisdom. But what do we do? We preach Christ crucified, and that makes the difference. It's the great division. We preach Christ crucified. Of course, the Jews considered a stumbling block. And as you go through John 6, they stumbled repeatedly. They stumbled repeatedly, and their little stumblings are recorded for us. The Greeks looked at Paul's preaching as foolishness, and they mocked him on Mars Hill. But unto them which are called... Some of the Jews and some of the Greeks, when they heard the gospel, that is the power of God and that is the wisdom of God. To have raised up a virgin-born son that was crucified by the Romans and rose from the dead and sits at God's right hand and is coming back for us and will raise the dead, that is powerful. That is wisdom. What made the difference? The power of God. And here it's called the weakness of God because his weakness is stronger than our depravity. Now chapter 2. I read you the first five verses. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen Amen and amen. Corinth desired. Corinth expected fine speech. It was a Greek sister city of Athens. They desired and expected to hear man's wisdom and his exciting, enthusiastic, fiery, persuasive deliveries. But Paul said, when I came to you in Corinth, I didn't bring that with me. I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom. He did not bring the things they desired and expected. Declaring unto you the testimony of God. And what is the testimony of God? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The testimony of God is Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son. That is God's testimony of His Son. So Paul preached Jesus to them without the flourishes, without the philosophical panderings, 
without the excursions into other schools of human learning to present Christ. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He determined, Paul made a choice that he would limit his content. If I can share with you, verse 2 is content. Verse 3 is personality or manners. Verse 4 is elocution or the actual speaking ability or rhetoric. Paul dumbed down all three. Paul dumbed down all three to demonstrate the power of God by his spirit that any would be converted. I hope you're with me. Seminaries do try to do the opposite. They want to improve man's elocution. They want to improve man's personality. They want to expand the content with lots of entertaining stories and illustrations. But look at what the Word of God says. I determined not to know anything among you. I dumbed down the content of the message to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul's choice was to be rude and to dumb down the message to one main subject. Verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul's personal mannerisms, Paul's personal presence was not impressive. When Paul needed to be impressive, he could be impressive. Read the book of Acts and his trials. When he was on trial is what I mean. Opposite of a confident, fiery, persuasive Greek order, Paul was the opposite. Look at him. His character traits in the pulpit and with them was weak, fear, and trembling. Every honest minister knows exactly what he means by those words. Bodily presence, according to his enemies in the church at Corinth, described in chapter 10 and verse 10 of the second epistle. Do you know what they said of him? His letters are weighty, but his physical presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Well, then he accomplished what he intended to do when he came to Corinth. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. His elocution, that's a word meaning the actual technical aspects of speech. It was not interesting to natural man. It didn't include enticing words of man's wisdom. My speaking ability and the way that I applied myself and the way I presented the truth was not to entertain men or to please men. No enticement by his rhetorical skills, no enticement by content excursions. He dumbed the message down and dumbed his presentation down and allowed himself to be weak and fearful and trembling before them. And why does he say he did that? To demonstrate the spirit and power that the spirit can regenerate and can convert a man with that dumbed-down message and that dumbed-down personality and that dumbed-down presentation. And he did convert the Corinthians in the midst of that city, and they, were, they suffered persecution for it. And Paul says in verse 5, that your faith, the reason I did those things, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We do not believe that the end justifies the means to alter the means from God's word. We want to use the means of God's word and trust him for the end result. And that's conversion, that's regeneration, that's having your heart opened. That's having your mind enlightened by the power of the Spirit of God. Right. What a difference from the purpose of most seminaries, which is to do the opposite of this passage. Lord, save us. Yes. 
And let us remember the simplicity of the gospel and pray for your pastor that he'll just communicate the basic raw truth in a rude manner without attempting to be rude or too crude, but to just lay it out there and let your consciences, by the power and influence of the Holy Spirit, believe it, love it, embrace it, rejoice in it, and obey it. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, blessed God, Thou knowest. I don't have to work very hard to dumb down elocution. I don't have to work very hard to have a rude presentation and personality. Oh, Lord, help me to determine not to know anything among these people save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Especially today. We thank Thee, Holy Father, that in Your wisdom, the world by wisdom knew not Thee, and so You gave Jesus Christ power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. And You sent men to preach the simple message of Jesus Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. And men were converted, both of the Jews and of the Greeks and of us Gentiles, by that message. O Lord, when we heard it, we rejoiced at the joyful sound. We couldn't believe our ears. We turned and we said, this is too good to be true. This is wonderful. Lord, I don't deserve this. And Lord, we still don't deserve it. 41 years later, we don't deserve it. But Heavenly Father, please bless us by your Spirit. Hold back my foolish, frivolous, fleshly tongue and let the spiritual tongue by your blessing convey the truth of salvation by Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, open our ears, open our eyes, let us see him, believe on him and come to him in humble repentance and contrition and lay hold of him and laying hold of eternal life through him. Our Father, we thank thee and bless thee that you gave us to Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. We thank thee and Holy Father that he knew that we were his and that he came to fulfill your perfect will and to save every one of us. Help us, O Lord, today to see that more clearly than ever. We thank thee, Holy Father, that in our stubborn spiritual deadness and depraved rebellion, your weakness was greater than our strength. And you were able to overcome us. And you were able to regenerate and quicken us. Convert us and open our hearts and our minds to behold the gospel and to love it and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that no man can come to thee except the Father, thee, O Lord, would draw him. We know that that is true in our own cases, that we would not have come unless you had changed us. But you did, and we praise thee. We thank thee. We are bound to give thanks for this congregation, Heavenly Father, because you have chosen from the beginning to sanctify us by your Spirit and to cause us to believe the truth by apostolic gospel. Lord, be with us this day. Heavenly Father, as I have prayed repeatedly before this moment, grant this same blessing to every church of saints and every God-called man throughout the world, no matter what name he goes under no matter what color he might be, but one holy apostolic creed, for there is but one faith, 
and that is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank Thee for our nation. We pray that You will preserve it. Changes are being made. The world is whining. The rebels in our nation are whining. Protect our president. Bless his cabinet. Uphold them with the changes that they seek to make. We will trust their leading to Thee, O Lord. We cannot lead them. We would not know how to lead them. You lead them. And we'll follow along behind them, trusting Thee because the Lord Jesus Christ is truly the Prince of our President. We thank Thee, Heavenly Father, for the forgiveness of sins, and we confess that we have sinned yet further. Have mercy upon us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. O Lord, we thank Thee for every good gift that we enjoy every day. We are not worthy of the least of them, nor of all the truth that Thou hast shown us. All these things are gifts from Thee. What we do not see, show it to us. What we need and do not have, give it to us. O Lord, if we have too much and it is stolen our hearts, take it away that we might more faithfully follow Thee. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Without Thy blessing, we can do nothing. Without Thy Spirit, we have no love or joy or peace or abounding hope. But with Thy Spirit, we see the Christ. We see our salvation. And we can be full of love and joy and peace and abounding hope. Grant us this blessing as Your children. We call upon Thee, O Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, your only begotten Son, our only Savior, our only hope of eternal redemption, we ask Thee for Thy blessing this day in His name and only His name forever. Amen. Amen.